This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. The Hamilton Waterfront Trust, which has been getting a lot of ink for uh, quite a while now for a a number of uh, different reasons, has apparently lost its charitable status. This is because the Canada Revenue Agency says the work that it does is not exclusively charitable. Uh, When you read a headline like Waterfront Trust Charitable Status Annulled, um, agency should have been more transparency experts. It, it gets you th- it, right away. Your mind goes to, oh, there must be something nefarious going on. But I, I got to tell you, I don't. I really don't see it that way. I see this as more of a, a case of uh, definitions being kind of muddied a little bit, and and some communication issues maybe not uh, not being sharp. Uh, Jason Farr is a city councilor, Ward Two, and he joins us on the line. Uh, good to talk to you again, Jason. Thanks for the time. Well, thank you, Jamie. And since that was such a wonderfully uh, worded introduction on this uh, story today, I will f- come right out of the gate and, and admit to not being as sharp. Okay. I should probably <laughs> have been as a board member for this, but in, in the reality, it's actually been, believe it or not, a pleasure working with Revenue Canada. And this, this historically goes back probably six, seven years and ultimately comes down to, um, and a good good piece of reporting, I must say, by Natalie Padden. We likely should have changed our website a year and a half ago, and we just did that the other day. So, and 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 announced through at least our website that uh, there's been some tweaking and there's been some changes. For the most part, though, we remain a not for profit. Right. Well, it's, a, it's as soon as I heard about the, you know you guys hadn't uh, changed the website in a couple of years, I thought, what makes them any different than a whole bunch of uh, businesses and and outfits out there that have uh, websites that aren't aren't necessarily attended to twenty four seven. I think a lot of people. Bottom line on that one is is they can identify with that. Yeah, there's there are people who say, well, they shouldn't. You know, they they should know better. They're you know they're the, the eyes of the public are on them and all of that stuff, and that's fine. But let's let's get to the to the uh, real story, which is the the CRA saying, okay, um, you, you're not a charity. So let's we have to go back in time, Jason, to the beginning of when the Waterfront Trust was established and what the thinking was then. So take us back there. Well, we were back then and still today fulfilling a council mandate of you know bringing people to the water's edge and. Yeah. Uh, in the case of uh, the area that we uh, spend a lot of time in lately, I mean, it included Lake Ontario and great amenities there, thanks to the Waterfront Trust, but uh, focusing on the Discovery Drive area, Sarcoa, Williams, our rink, the ice cream, the boat rentals and all of that stuff, bike rentals and skate rentals. It uh, was something where uh, the Hamilton Harbor Commission and the city had settled in court, a $6 million lawsuit to the city, uh, council wisely in its day, I wasn't around then, established the Hamilton Waterfront Trust to, to, to make that $6 million work for the people. We leveraged it into $21 million worth of projects and uh, have been very, very successful, probably in the neighborhood on average of about 800,000 to a million visitors a year to an area where it was zero not that long ago. And, and over time, uh, uh, we created and built the public amenities uh, in a place where you, you know, when we first started out, you couldn't even get a bottled water. And it's yeah. been fantastic growth ever since. And it's the same federal agency, Rev Canada, who deemed us the charitable organization a way back then to, to start from the beginning, uh, that got together with us a few years ago and said, okay, you know, we've, ta- we've done our audit. We're looking at your business units. And you know what? We, we need to change things. We were not charging you any you know, uh, retroactive uh, payments on any of those units in the past that maybe we now see 
uh, should be labeled differently. And we just started fresh with them about a year and a half, two years ago, uh, on, on two of the bigger units, Williams Cafe and the Waterfront Trust Centre, and deeming them businesses. So we incorporated, we, we became Hamilton Waterfront Trust Inc. Inc. for those yeah. two uh, properties and, and not-for-profit on all the others. Yeah, so it's just a it's just a matter of um, again uh, fine tuning definitions and and coming into uh, um, compliance with uh, with what CRA defines as charitable and you know and and not and not for profit etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a it's just basically some bureaucracy. There's yep. but, but people automatically Jason think oh they see they're screwing it up you know they're <laughs> they're they're up to no good somebody's somebody's zooming somebody down there yeah that's well, the problem you know with this Fair stuff. Enough. You know, but again, you know, it wasn't too long ago there was nothing happening. And right, you just look exactly. At we have a fishing derby where we've had upwards 3,000 people and lots of them kids getting free fishing rods that's yep. happening just in a week from now. You know, the tall ships and all the events that we have and, and even the train rides, seniors, families, there's lots of stuff going on. And I, I think for the most part, a lot of people appreciate that. But, you know, I mean, just as Revenue Canada tweaks and helps us along the way, we need to help ourselves. And as a board, I think we're, from a fiduciary responsibility standpoint, we've been very good. We've also been, you know, a little distracted for the last two and a half years and spending a lot of time focused in one area where uh, now we've actually turned a corner and a lot of great things on the horizon, and particularly council of this term. And in many terms past, always unanimous in their support for the Waterfront Trust, Mayor Eisenberger, Mayor Bertina before, and all the councillors on all the different things we do. Uh, for a subsidy of about $300,000 from the city, mostly to operate and maintain our, our rink operations, you compare that and look at the numbers we bring in each and every year to even our best rec centers, and uh, we're, we're doing very, very well. Um, and so we're, we're proud of that, and, and, and obviously we always need to make sure we uh, keep the pedal on the gas and tweak where we need to tweak, and, and this is one of those cases. And so, fair enough, we changed the website, I think it was just yesterday morning, and uh, our meetings are always public. There was probably nobody at that public meeting when we eventually... Uh, made the change, became incorporated on the two entities. Uh, there generally isn't, but pe- people are always welcome, and we report every year to council. We're very transparent. Our auditors every year give us clean reports, and and uh, we share those reports with our finance staff as an arm's-length uh, uh, body to uh, city council that uh, is, I think, a really important part of our growth, and particularly in the downtown and on the waterfront that we're seeing now. How are we going to be, uh, this is a, t- a tough one, but uh, any idea how crystal ball gazing here, how we're going to be able to unwind all of this Sarkoa uh, stuff? Because, you know, one thing everyone's agreed on is that, that it's a beautiful venue. It's in a beautiful location. Um, people have described who have attended that place, uh, and that venue as being, they can't believe they're in Hamilton. Uh, they think that they're, you know, in Miami or someplace. Uh, what what becomes of that, um, you know, down the road? Any thoughts? Well, as a, an agreement with the, the federal government, I guess it's about three and a half years ago now when we... Uh, you know, uh, finally uh, put the kibosh on the Red Hill lawsuit, and obviously the waterfront uh, played a bit of a role. Mm-hmm. That waterfront trust center was in the hands of the federal government until then. It then became a property of the city of Hamilton. So, you know, where Sarcoa once was uh, and where Parks Canada once was, and in fact where Sheila Copps 
built and created the Discovery Center right. when yes. it was once a museum, and it was a great spot for that, too. Just didn't get the numbers we were hoping for. Uh, that's now in the hands and the purview of the city. So part of the discussion now going forward, because, you know, for the most part, every square foot of that facility inside and out uh, deserves a discussion with city officials at this point, uh, is under exploration. At the same time, the Waterfront Trust is uh, is developing an RFP for uh, new business, possibly, to locate there. Again, all part of city discussions. And I can tell you this, in the last month, Jamie, unsolicited, and, and we are definitely doing an open, transparent, legal process on wh- whatever way we go forward, unsolicited, there's been an incredible amount of interest. And it's because, as you say, the vistas, the the, the, the beauty of the location itself and the views and the fact that it's literally on probably the biggest, most prime piece of real estate in the city of Hamilton has uh, led to no shortage of interest in the last four or five weeks, I can tell you that. But we know there won't be much base pumping down there uh, going forward, is is my guess. That was never, <laughs> never the plan. You know, it's funny because you keep, every time there's a story, and of late there's been a few, you keep reading this line, we're embroiled in this lengthy legal battle and it's it's funny that thing is that's so far from the truth the reality is you know years ago the now uh, defunct operators who you know unfortunately had to terminate the lease there were five good reasons why you guys covered that that was yesterday's news but the reality is um, you know we stood there shoulder to shoulder in committee of adjustment with those folks saying we're with you as the waterfront trust and allowing music on that patio but but it was through a coa city process where you had to get a variance and it wasn't about pumping up the jam till 2 a.m it was about like barangas on the beach for example something reasonable till 11 o'clock maybe 12 p.m on on special occasions and not loud enough to wake up mayor goldring and his gang across the way <laughs> or the north enders so it was never about dance clubs and i'm not sure where it's coming from but you know in time all of this will be resolved in the court of law and i hope to uh, I hope to see some coverage then because, you know, you're only getting one side of the story for the most part now because legally I've already told you too much. I don't know what it is. Whenever you and I talk, I talk too much. <laughs> I'm, uh, that's, hey, that's just what happens, you know. It's, uh, it's, yeah, and by the way, the uh, North Enders, uh, East Enders and North East Enders uh, never sleep. Uh, I know that because yeah. uh, I'm from there. And so yeah. uh, we never we never, we never, never sleep. So the music's never a problem. Uh, okay. Yeah, right. let, oh, that's your commentary. I'll leave yeah, that to you, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, listen, uh, the f- bottom line here, Jason, is, uh, again, similar to the discussion that you and I had earlier this week about the pop-up parks, or maybe it was last week, I can't remember, but yeah. it was recently about the pop-up parks. Again, we're we're in a position in this city where our future is very bright. The future of the waterfront uh, has never been brighter. Uh, there's lots of development uh, uh, plans going on. And, um, you know, this is all just stuff, right? It is, and you know, it's you touched on something huge. I mean, we're focusing a lot positively on a lot of growth in the downtown. On the waterfront, we're hyper-focused on Pier 8. But one of the things that has been unanimously received and accolades have come, and not just from councils of the past and present, is the ability of the trust to project manage, and a lot of people forget that. And so we've we've gotten back into that in a big way, back to their, our, our original uh, scope as a board, and we are actually the purveyors of the project management for the other two piers, six, seven, 
and in some parts five. And so when you now go down to Williams and you're going down that short little discovery drive and you look to the left and you take a look at that new public promenade pier, gorgeous work, uh, the result of some great consultation. That's just a sample of what we're involved with now, including the retrofit and the renovation and the rejuvenation of some of the old buildings down there, bringing in some new buildings. And those piers, while Pier 8 is a largely focused on 1,500 potential residential units and a lot of new commercial, this is a very public promenade that the project management through the Waterfront Trust is currently uh, designing, and, and it's based on our history and our ability to to create the amenities that have obviously brought hundreds and hundreds, well, many millions of people over the years since our inception, and roughly a million every year uh, since we've built up what we've built up so far. So we're in good hands, and uh, that public piece next to Pier 8 and to the west of Pier 8, I think is going to be absolutely spectacular. So the people that are pleased now that keep coming back, and the more people that keep coming, whether they're from regionally or from parts unknown, Jamie, are, are just going to keep saying, like they've been saying for years, wow, this is really night and day from when I was here 20 years ago. No kidding. Jason Farr, City Councilor Ward 2. Really appreciate your time this morning, as always. Thanks so much for this. Hope to see a lot of people out the Fishing Derby on August the 12th. Excellent. I uh, right. I might throw a line in the water myself. Thank you. Well, you night and day, you're always up, so come by anytime. <laughs> All right, Jason. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There's Jason Farr, City Councilor uh, Ward 2. That's right. Never sleep. I'll have plenty of time to sleep when, well, you know how that saying goes. Um, yeah, okay. Lots of, again, you know, this uh, this city is is really going places. Finally. It really is. It really is. And all this stuff about, you know, the CRA status of the Waterfront Trust and so on and so forth, that's all just, blah, blah, blah. it's just noise. It's just, okay, you know, um, it's process, it's paper pushing, it's... It's bureaucracy. It's not, there's no controversy there. There's no, no nothing. Um, we've got a, we got a really bright future on that waterfront. And Jason's right. We talk a lot about uh, the downtown core and rightfully so. Um, but we got a great waterfront development plan going on too. And, and if you want to know, you know, what that means to a city that was industrial, go to Cleveland. Go to Cleveland and see what they've done with their waterfront there. Visit the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and do all of that stuff. And you can see what is possible. Okay? You can do that. Uh, Pittsburgh is another one. You know, there's a river there. But Pittsburgh is another fine example of, uh, of that kind of thing. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Well, this is a problem uh, and a challenge that it, it seems like it's never going to disappear, although there are countries on this planet that have uh, uh, taken some bold steps to uh, try to eliminate homelessness and uh, the problem of uh, finding housing for people with low income. Uh, and we just don't seem to be able to quite get a handle on things. Uh, the catalyst for the discussion today is a story about some people who have been living in tents here in Hamilton on a vacant brownfield lot near Hamilton's waterfront. Um, This has been, this is, uh, this is not new to our city. Um, A a lot of times people who are homeless are invisible to us um, for a number of reasons. One, they, they just, they're in spots where we can't see them. And the other reason is we choose not to see them. 
Uh, so what can we uh, what can we do about this? Joining me on the line now is Renee uh, Wetzelar. She's a senior social planner with the Social Planning and Research Council of Hamilton. Renee, nice to have you here. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Jamie. Uh, Renee, this is um, first of all. Let's talk about the the tent people uh, at Barton and Tiffany uh, that have been. Uh, have been evicted. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit. For for those that aren't familiar, paint a picture of where that is in our city, first of all. So Barton Tiffany is uh, right down near the waterfront where we've had the new West Harbor Go Station development uh, happen. And it's also very closely, uh, closely tied to the West Harbor development down by uh, Williams, where the Hamilton Waterfront Trust is. So it is part of our beautiful, uh, you know, lakefront vista that we have. And now it has, as we see and we know, for it has been home to some of our vulnerable populations in Hamilton. So um, it's right, you know, where I would say the hot spot of development might be for Hamilton, but also for many years, many generations. We've oh. We've got a bad cell. We've got a bad cell okay. phone. Tell tell you what is do, are, do you know where the hot spots are in the space that you're in right now? It's like my house. I, I know where the <laughs> I know where the weak spots are, and I know where the hot spots are when it comes to cell reception. How's this? Is this better? Yeah, I can hear. I can hear you. I can hear you well now for sure. Okay, so, great. So c- carry on with your point. Maybe uh, roll her back a little bit and start again there. Sure. Sorry about that. That's Jamie. okay. Um, so the uh, the location that we're talking about, the Barton Tiffany lands, as they're known, is uh, right on the West Harbor. So right now down near the waterfront, it's also adjacent to the West Harbor development that many people are hearing about, and also very close to a uh, big city housing Hamilton complex down on James Street North. And then of course it's maybe two blocks from James Street North where we have our cultural hub. Well, I wonder why it's necessary uh, to bring in a you know a bulldozer and kick these people out at this point. I mean, I, obviously, none of us are happy that they have to live in tents on a brownfield, but but it, it makes things a little more stressful for them uh, when somebody comes along with a with a uh, bulldozer. What what's the reason for it? Maybe there's a good reason. I don't know. Well, they're saying that they need to do an environmental assessment on that land, but they've been sitting on this land for a long time, and certainly we know that folks have been living there. So to make it such an acute problem, you know, in terms of moving people out Mm -hmm. out in such a a radical way, it kind of also mirrors uh, how radical the problem is here in Hamilton, right? We do have a lot of people who are living in tents, uh, whether it's in that particular location or more along the uh, the tracks that we call them, or also along the escarpment. So these folks happen to be seen, be visible, and caught in a place where people wanted to make some activity happen. But again, these people haven't, and I say, you know, people haven't been cared for or haven't been afforded the time and space to find affordable housing that meets their needs. Okay, so we've got the, we've got the um, affordability issue. Um, we've got the uh, low-income issue. Uh, we also have mental illness as an issue, right? Absolutely. And healthcare. So let's talk yeah. a bit a, a bit about that and how big a contributor that is uh, to people uh, finding themselves homeless. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I mean, you talked about kind of an intersectionality there—a perfect storm between, say, 
mental health, um, people's vulnerability around their income. And, uh, you know, for this particular group of people, we're talking about men who may be, say, in their 50s. This demographic has been severely infected by the economic downturn here in Hamilton as well. So if you take all those factors into consideration, it's a perfect storm, right? Um, we also don't have enough mental health beds here in Hamilton, or the system is such that people have been released into community, and there are not enough supports for people who are in community. There's not a, enough supportive or supported housing as well. Renee Wetzelar is my guest, a senior social planner with the Social Planning and Research Council of Hamilton. Uh, we're talking about uh, we're talking about homelessness and and affordable housing. We know that you know incomes are not going up. Renee and and housing prices in Hamilton has been well publicized here are are on, on the increase so that gap is getting getting wider and at the same time we have uh, again back to the same uh, trifecta we've got health care being continually being cut as well we're hearing this morning about budget cuts at, at both uh, major uh, hospital uh, corporations here in our city and you know the the provincial government doesn't seem to be loosening the purse strings when it comes to uh, any kind of health care, especially mental health care. No, no, they certainly uh, don't seem to be doing that. And I just want to come back to then the uh, kind of housing homelessness piece, because again, as you mentioned, it all kind of brushes up against each other. We do have some tools in the toolbox, I think, that we need to start enacting now. I know Matthew Green certainly spoke about, you know, needing a national housing strategy, and I've, you know, maintained, and uh, the current uh, federal government claims to have been working on one. We are still waiting to see any kind of real traction around that or any real funding announcements. More locally, on a, on a provincial and municipal level, we do have inclusionary zoning on the table. We can start to take some action on that, and I think we need to raise the level of dialogue around what that means. And inclusionary zoning essentially means that any new development, it's a tool that could say any new development would need X percentage of affordable housing as part of its uh, plan uh, uh, moving forward. You know, there are a lot of developments that um, they may say put out money for a park or something like that, which is really great. Um, but I think we need these uh, kind of benefits to focus back more into affordable housing. So we have tools, and there is a municipal election coming up next year. And I think it's really important that on a municipal, provincial, and federal level that we continue to raise this. Yeah, we've got to get engaged with it. Uh, you know, the idea that you just um, mentioned is is a is a great one. It's 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 valid. You're right. Developers come in the. They put up a new development and they promise, uh, and as part of the commitment, they have to put in money for a park, as you said. Let's 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 put some money in for uh, um, making sure that people have appropriate and affordable uh, housing, certainly. But you know how that goes. Um, people say that, no, I don't, you know, I don't want to live with those kinds of people. You know, there's this, this ongoing prejudice. And what people don't understand is that if, if these people who... Uh, if these people got the help that they needed, um, you know, they go from being homeless people who you feel icky about being around for whatever reason to being, you know, employed uh, people, uh, healthy people who are contributing every day to our economy. That's right, Jamie. It's really simple. 
it's really simple. And Jamie, there may be people out and listening to the show right now who are actually related to some of the folks that yeah. we're talking about. And I know here in our workplace, you know, we've brushed up against this on a very personal level amongst some of our colleagues. So it's not that far away. And as I mentioned before, we're not talking about a quote-unquote different part of the world where we may think there is a deficit and therefore, you know, this is normalized. This is here in Hamilton. This should not be normalized. It's not acceptable. These are also not people, and again, this this plays to the mentality on which our, our nation, I think, was raised, which is, Every every man for himself, every woman for for herself, whatever. Um, you know, if you can't make it too bad, uh, this idea that people are these people that find themselves homeless are there because you know they are lazy. Um, nobody loves them. Uh, they're they're a mess. So what can I do about it? You know, and, yeah. and it's their own it's their own fault. It's got nothing to do with me. It's hard enough for me to work. You know, I'm working two jobs. You know, forget it. You know, there's yeah, that I attitude. Deal with it. Yeah. The women, yeah, and the Women's Housing Planning Collaborative really does a great job to put a gender lens on this because being a woman, you raise the whole idea around gender. So having a gender analysis, women experience this even at a whole deeper and different level. Um, their homelessness may involve couch surfing. It may involve putting themselves into precarious relationships. It right. may involve, you know, engaging in sex work as a way to deal with the fact that you have nowhere to live and you have nowhere to eat. So, again, the acuity of it is serious. Um, and it's not acceptable in a community where we know that there's so much exciting development happening. We also know that incomes, the CMHC report that was just released, says that you know the incomes are not matching the housing prices here in Hamilton. So obviously we do have an income problem. Um, the provincial government is you know putting forth some great legislation on increasing the minimum wage, and that's certainly a great way to help with this as well. And we need to push forward on those income supports too. So let's talk about some of the other uh, ideas that exist way outside of Hamilton, way outside of Ontario, and way outside of Canada when it comes to uh, the issue of affordable housing and and curing homelessness. Uh, I've heard, uh, and uh, you'll certainly shed more light on this because you're on top of everything that's going on here, um, the idea that, that, you know, if you, if you actually build some affordable housing and, and put people in it um, and, and, and government subsidizes that, that you cure a lot of problems for the people, the same people who say, it's not my problem, uh, I don't want to deal with it. If, if government comes in and sets up housing for people, um, it, it can be it can cure a whole lot of social problems. Is that right or am I dreaming? Did I read that and, or is that a dream I had? No, it's not a dream. And the Canadian Mental Health Com- uh, Commission uh, released a report a few years called At Home Chez Soi. And what that report said and, you know, has developed into is a Housing First program. Mm-hmm. Housing First essentially says, house a person first, for God's sakes, before you try and deal with all the other problems in their life so they have a place to deal with them. Right? And that seems to be pretty sensible. Here in Hamilton, we've done some great work around that, particularly with the Indigenous community. And, uh, you know, there's some good local examples. We don't have to go too far away to see how this works. We just need better policy and uh, increased or, or, you know, uh, different folks on where investments need to go. 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, when I stop and think about the, the millions and millions of dollars, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars that are, are wasted on, on you know, new stadiums and, and things like that that, and, and that that appear in the core of a city, and I think about what how much that could help people um, who, who are living on the streets who are often at outside of those games are out uh, uh, panhandling to, to make a little bit of money to survive, uh, you know, what that money could be doing. I, I, yeah. I, and I know there's always a question of, of priorities, but those ones stick out like a sore thumb to me, these, these you know, going after these, um, these you know, games like the, the last time. And I think all that money did not, there's no way that what was spent turned into any kind of ROI like they had predicted it was. It was just a great big expense and a gigantic waste of money. And oh, I agree. Why can't we celebrate it, uh, you know, a woman getting housed the yeah. way we celebrate a darn touchdown in this town? You know what I mean? It's a lot more value and it is a lot more um, benefit to the community. Not that I have anything against the tie cats or football. Or no, me either. Stuff. Me either. But there's but other ways to raise that money. Right on. A yeah. woman housed is uh, more important than a touchdown. Renee uh, Wetzel, our uh, senior se- uh, senior social planner with the Social Planning and Research Council of Hamilton. Uh, thanks for this. Uh, I know thanks, you, you're doing good work out there, and uh, we appreciate it. Take care. Thanks so much. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 905-645-3221, star 9900. Do you think I'm too much of a bleeding heart? You know, there's people listening to this program this morning. Oh, my God, listen to Wes. Jeez. Guy's going on and on and on. You know, like... We're all doing the best we can. If people find themselves, you know, out on the streets, living in a box, a tent, what have you, well, then that's their problem. I don't think it is. I think it's. I think it's all of our problem, and I think it's something that needs to be uh, addressed seriously at at some point. We need a mind shift in this country, maybe in this, maybe on this continent. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Earlier this week, there was a story about how rats had invaded a Hamilton townhouse complex on St. Andrews Drive in the East End. Uh, Why are we seeing more of the rodents? What problems do they bring? And are they difficult to get rid of? Have you experienced a rat problem? Love to hear from you. 905-645-3221, star 9900, or any kind of vermin problem that you've had to deal with in any part of this city 905-645-3221 or star a nine a 900 uh, apparently uh we are the fifth rattiest city in ontario according to some some statistics put out by a, a large pest control company uh jim minor is uh, president of action pest control services uh, here in in hamilton jim thanks for being with us this morning Oh, thank you, Jamie. It's my pleasure. All right. So uh, this uh, this rat problem that was the focus of the uh, Hamilton Spectator story earlier this week uh, centers on St. Andrews Drive, uh, the townhouse complex there. I'm familiar with that area and that particular area of the city because I grew up not far from there on, on Montmorency Drive and, uh, and attended the school that at the time was Elizabeth Bagshaw School there. I think it eventually morphed into BR and before the new BR was built and all of that stuff. It's changed names a couple of times. But that building is being ripped down. Is that the reason the rats are kind of uh, taking up space in that housing complex? Uh, yes, I do believe it's part of it. Have they started the demolition? I wasn't Oh, there. yeah. I know they were... 
Yeah, I drove by it uh, about a week and a half ago, and uh, backhoe was in there ripping her, ripping her down. She's she's uh, coming down big time. Okay, so something that's in place. And I have to go from memory here. There is yep. a bylaw. It's in Oakville. It's in Hamilton. Is Hamilton bylaw? I believe is ten dash ten dash two twenty one. Um, every anybody that's doing a demolition or starting a subdivision, they have to have a pest control plan in place. It's through the city of Hamilton, but mainly public health services. Um, and they're looking at vector-borne diseases, but also trying to stop the spread of the rodents throughout. And I could give you two, or I could probably give you three or four different examples of pluses and minuses, whether they've done it or they haven't, if okay. you're interested. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, we did a job a couple of weeks ago, and I could not say which subdivision, or two months ago, we were up on, we'll say, Stony Creek Mountain. I got a call from a homeowner. Two or three neighbors had rats, and they said they were digging somewhere around. We went up, we did an inspection, and the problem was quite extensive. We wound up doing 15 properties. Wow. We did get rid of the problem, and we happened to drive over. And, yes, there was a subdivision, townhouses going in in that particular time. And I didn't see any pest control plan in place because normally you're supposed to have um, the city assets you have locked and secured bait stations with either traps or a proper rodenticide so humans or animals can't get at it. They want them so many feet apart so when you dig, hence the animals or the rodents are supposed to go into the traps. And um, these and these provisions are supposed to be made at the site of the demolition, right? 100%. No, okay. There is a bylaw. I don't, I don't huh. know. I can tell you, I, I know like Brant Haven, we've done work. They follow it. Lasani, um, we do work for They Followed It. I know you've been in Hamilton a long time. Uh, Rudy Spalacci put a building on King Street down by Denigers maybe 15 years ago, condo converted. That was the first time I had heard about it. We were doing some work for them. We had a proposal. We had to go in, and they wanted the whole building baited before they turned it. It was torn down. We didn't even see evidence of rats at the time. I can't remember the building, but it was a city bylaw they implemented then. Interesting. A lot of people never paid attention to it, but now there's so much construction on. Once you tear a building down, Jamie, or once you start moving earth, everything comes out. Sure. Lice, rats, squirrels. Right. And so, you know, there's there was uh, some thinking that, oh, uh, you know, townhouse complex, people aren't storing their garbage properly. It's summertime, uh, you know, loose lids on garbage containers, green boxes, et cetera, et cetera. But chances are it's directly related to this uh, demolition of the the uh, former Elizabeth Bagshaw school uh, on Albright uh, Road, um, you know, literally just uh, a couple hundred yards from where St. Andrew's Drive uh, townhouses are. Well, the smart money would say that. I, yeah. I've been in the business a long time, so and I've seen it over the years. The number, the only thing we do more of now that we than rat jobs, I think, is bed bugs. Twenty right. years ago, we did hardly any bed bugs. They changed the formulation of insecticides. Bed bugs outlived the residual life. Twenty years ago, we didn't have the construction. So, like, we do five or six hundred rat jobs a year if you take individual houses. Interesting. Um, so, so a byproduct of our 
our uh, redevelopment and, and new development, uh, which is viewed as a good thing, is uh, the rats come to the surface and and uh, look for a new place to live. And if they find a, 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 a nice environment uh, that's suitable, they're going to hang out there. It, it, so no wonder we're seeing the rat numbers go up uh, in the last several years. I was, uh, you, do you still live in Caledonia? I remember no. We spoke, no. Uh, okay, <laughs> I we spoke years ago, you're out. There's a problem. We're out by a subdivision yesterday doing something, and Binbrook's got a big problem when you go from Rymel out to the fairgrounds because of all the construction. Um, I was going to add something. I was speaking to Liz, your nice producer, yesterday about some just different problems with rats. Now, we go to different areas. Um, someone in Hamilton has a large number of rental properties in Kitchener where they're putting the LRT in. Right. We were literally there, I'm going to go back 10 months ago, for almost three weeks at four big townhouse sites. When they start digging the LRT, and there's one going right up that rail line in Kitchener, the stuff that came out was incredible. I didn't even know they were doing an LRT there at the time. There was problems here. But that's what happens. You dig the road when you dig sewers. Rats live in the ground. There's either roof rats or they'll call them sewer rats. They're actually a Norway rat. When you dig, they come out. And it was a horrendous problem up in Kitchener, but I don't think it hit the news in Hamilton. When they start digging the LRT along that old line from Queenston Traffic Circle to downtown, the same thing's going to happen. Wow. I don't even know how they can stop it unless they start baiting the sewers. Right, okay. So I guess there's going to have to be some... Uh some discussion taking place is is that where you know you jim as the the president of a pest control company uh go to the bureaucrats at city hall and say hey listen i'm an expert in this have you considered this this is a this is going to be a problem for you uh do you need to get a what what do they call it an rfp together so that uh you can get ahead of this or are they all sleeping at the switch well they seem to be on this other one. They're all sleeping at the switch. We tried this before with the bed bug problem with city housing, and it's just things just don't hit the paper. If you look at most city housing properties, there's still a bad problem um, with bed bugs and rats. Rats, yeah. rats and bed bugs. It's a it's a horrendous problem, and I don't know what they can do. You have to be proactive, and even then, it's difficult. It's very difficult, but it is a huge problem. It's not just here, Kitchener. Mississauga, Oak. When they dug the hospital in Oakville, you would not believe how bad it was along Number Five Highway. And it's not on purpose. They have no idea because it's a country property where they put it down by Third Line, wherever it is. All kinds of vermin came out of the ground. So, it's, are the problems once you have uh, once you have rats? Say you're somebody living in a townhouse complex, and they're they're around you. They're in there. I'm imagining that it's really not a problem that you can take care of yourself by laying out a couple uh, pieces of poison bait or setting a rat trap, is it? It's, it's, it's going to be much bigger. You, need, you probably need professional help because everybody else has got it if you've got it too. Well, there's a big difference. We don't use poison. It's a generic term, but we do have strong poisons, which is an arsenic-based tracking powder, which is called Zinc phosphide is 10%. The, buy, the stuff you buy at Canadian Tire is, a point, is 0.005%. They're blood thinners like... Um, warfarin. And Coumadin, warfarin. Yeah. And, yeah, they don't... They'll have multiple feeds sometimes. It, it, it will work in an essence, but you have to put so much bait out. When we did those 11 houses or 15 houses in Stony Creek Mountain there, 
I mean, we put out a lot of traps. We had to be, or bait stations, sorry, and it had to be monitored daily, and uh, we had it under control. And then the problem is, I'm going to go from memory here, like um, we mainly have Norway rats, roof rats, but we'll say um, like one rat has at least five litters of pups a year, and we'll say the average is five survives, right, which gives you 25 rats per year just from one female rat. Wow. If you take the numbers, if they survive unchecked, you get into the hundreds and hundreds. I've read things where the, the mathematicians will say you can have over a thousand, but you can get into the hundreds. But rats will kill each other for territory. There's cats, birds, different things. But it doesn't take long, Jamie, for the population to grow if it's unchecked. And they carry disease, right, Jim? I mean, that's the that's the well, issue can. with public health. They can. They're vector-borne diseases. Um, they're hard to detect. A little bit off the subject is, like, mice are the worst. Because mice are even the the catalyst to um, the deer ticks. It goes from a mosquito from a mouse to a deer back to a tick, which infects humans with the. Um, I'm not a tick expert, unfortunately. We I'm getting with it, I'm getting the creeps just listening to this conversation. But the mice, yeah, they don't get a good uh, they don't get a good rap. The mice and the rats. Yeah, you're talking about Lyme disease with the Lyme with, disease, with, yes. with the ticks. Yeah. And we, I live the West Mountain. I back on the conservation sort of. I've seen them in my yard. It bothers my daughters more than it bothers me, but I probably should be more aware because there's not a lot you can do. We've seen deer, like not near our house, but like 100 yards behind the odd time. So that's something to be considered too, but I, I did not know that till last year that mice are the main cause of that. They're the carrier of the disease. It gets passed to the mosquito, to the deer, and then hence the deer tick picks it up or whatever, and can pass it to humans. All right, so let's get back to the rats for a second. We are not, we are not likely to see a decrease in this, in this problem uh, anytime soon uh, with everything that we know is going on with uh, the development. You've mentioned the LRT. we got buildings being torn down, new ones being put up, holes being dug to you know, put footings in, et cetera, et cetera. This is something that's uh, just going to become... Uh, you know, something that has to be dealt with. Good, it's good for you guys. I mean, uh, this is great for business, right? Um, unfortunately, yes. And I said the same thing without uh, changing subjects with the bed bugs. We used to do. We're pretty busy. We're a medium-sized company with say six technicians. We used to do maybe ten bed bug jobs a year. Now we're doing ten to fifteen a week, and we're not the only ones doing it. It's because of different problems that have, have arisen, and that's usually from the government because they banned certain insecticides that worked that shouldn't have been banned. And there's a lot of restrictions with the rats as well. So it's not, I don't think it'll probably get worse before it gets better, but life goes on. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to live in a cave or something. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. That's good to know, Jim. And uh, certainly uh, we'll be giving you a call if we run into any of these problems. Uh, Jim, listen, thanks very much for spending some time with us and educating us here a little bit this morning. I do appreciate it. Well, Jamie, thank you very much. You have a wonderful day. All right, you too. Take care. Bye for Take now. Care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There's Jim Miner. He is the uh, president of Action Pest Control Services Incorporated. Um Little uh, education there. Fascinating that you know that the the guys that are licensed to do this kind of work have uh, access to shouldn't surprise you have access to more powerful 
uh, chemical potions to take care of business than you would get uh, walking into your local hardware store and going to the uh, pest control uh, shelf. Um, and and as Jim says, uh, you know, rats are going to be probably an increasing problem. We've we've seen that already statistically. The stats show that the rat problem in Hamilton is is growing. Hamilton is uh, listed as the rattiest city or fifth rattiest city, sorry, in uh, in the province of Ontario. And in and in many ways, it's you, you know you think well, how ironic you know we we are we're a city that's undergoing a lot of uh, new development, redevelopment, a lot of holes being dug, a lot of old buildings being torn down, and that is exactly. Uh, a huge ingredient in bringing the rats to the surface and making them scatter and find residence in your townhouse or or backyard. So it's a a negative byproduct of all of our economic success that's going on around here. It's the price, I guess, that we have to pay for that. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.